You are listening to MCC Geopod, the geopolitical podcast of the Maciej Corvinas Collegium, the largest talent management institute in Hungary. If you want to know more about our mission, please look up our English website at mcc.hu/en or check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter channels. For interesting articles and analysis of our professors and students, look up our knowledge base at korvinac.hu/en. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to the MCC Geopod. This one will be for sure an outstanding episode. I am sitting in the studio with Dr. Mark Milos, who flew all the way from the United States to Hungary. Dr. Milos has a law degree and a doctorate in modern European history and has worked in foreign affairs for the US Congress, a federal agency, and a nonprofit foundation. He's also the author of the outstanding book titled Modernizing Bavaria. Welcome to the studio. Thank you again for coming. Thank you very much, Kara. Dr. Milos, we are in fact living in treacherous times. A war broke out several months ago in our neighborhood. The EU is about to witness its biggest crisis. Europe is facing a winter without the cheap Russian gas. China is taking dangerous steps towards Taiwan, and North Korea has been testing its cruise missiles. And the United States is getting more and more pulled into this global conflict. In this episode, we will delve into the United States' foreign policy strategy. Dr. Milos, can you give us a brief overview of the U.S. foreign policy strategy since the fall of the Iron Curtain? Well, Kata, that is a that is a big question, a tall order. Uh, I think I would I would have to do that by by. Uh, by periodizing it and and giving some sort of a priority approaches and, and issues. Really, after 1990, I would say there was a, a period I would call early euphoria, probably from 1990 through the mid-late Clinton years, the 1996-7-8, in, in which there was just a tremendous amount of good feeling uh, after the wall fell, in which the U.S. wanted to be genuinely helpful to uh, the, the newly liberated countries of, of Eastern Europe, uh, in which we wanted we wanted a good relationship with Russia. We wanted to be respectful of all the agreements that were made at the, at the time the, 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 the wall fell and generally be uh, a, a, good, a, a good neighbor and uh, promote support, uh, uh, civil society as it really existed in these various countries. To be a constructive force, we... We thought that this would herald a new era, which China, which China would follow, and so there was euphoria, optimism, genuine good, good neighborliness. It was, I think, most of us look back on that as a good period in U.S. foreign policy. So now that the euphoria is over, um, what are the major international or global challenges of the United States? Uh, well, at the at the At the present moment, I, I, I guess we, we we tend to divide that up into 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 regions. We, we you know we we speak of of uh, China, Russia. Uh, not so long ago, that there was the the issue of Islamic terrorism in the Muslim world, uh, um, the relationship with with the EU. Obviously, right now the immediate priority is Russia has a kind of uh, uh, urgency because of the war. Russia and the entire former Soviet space, uh, but everyone understands that long term, if we get through this, the the, the the larger issue is is China, 
You know, I wouldn't really necessarily separate these things. I think the U.S. government takes it as a as a package issue, where the the underlying issue here is is uh, what what is the future world order? How will, what will be the shape of that? And uh, Russia and China are the two most prominent angles, and in, in how uh, how the uh, American foreign policy establishment wants to shape the world order. The, the entire issue of Islamic terrorism seems to have 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 faded in the past 15 years, mostly because the the, the immediate threats have changed. Uh, now it's less a, an issue of of uh, of of threat than the uh, instability in in in, uh, in the whole perimeter, stretching from Morocco to uh, Pakistan. So you talked about Russia, China, and the Islamic countries, but which countries are the most reliable and strongest allies of the United States nowadays? And what do we know about these relationships? Well, uh, I, I would say uh, Great Britain ha- has uh, periodically reemerges in, in, during the Iraq war. And uh, again, in the struggle with Russia, as, as, as always, the United States closest ally, they have the military capabilities, our, our, uh, Foreign policy elites know each other very well. Uh, it's 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 a relationship that, when 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 we're not facing a, a war, often it, it's just sort of taken for granted, and we're and we're not aware of how how important that is. But so uh, Britain remains, of course, at the center. Uh, the interesting thing is is, uh, is this is the switch in 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 Europe uh, for 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 a long time. The 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 closest ally in Europe was Germany, certainly for Obama, the Obama-Merkel relationship, and and I think in the Biden administration, the the Americans wanted to look to Germany again, uh, found that the Germans were on a different wavelength and turned to Poland, a country that was not expected to be the the uh, Americans' best friend in, in in Europe, but that's what it's that's what it's come to be with the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. I've just read on the news that the U.S. and Poland are building a nuclear power plant. Have you heard about that? Like together? No, this is new news to me as well. All right. Like this is true. Okay. So does the U.S. still perceive the NATO as a highly valuable alliance or somewhat a bit of a liability? What do you think about this topic? Well, I think the talk of, of NATO as a liability is, is, uh, was always... Uh, on on the uh, a, a surface phenomenon, it's, it's more a matter of what is the purpose of of, of the of the alliance. It's certainly central to American foreign policy, not just for Europe, but but uh, uh, really for all the surrounding uh, regions. What what is the you know the only purpose of the purpose of NATO is not principally to uh, defend the United States. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a, a a tool for cooperative uh, influence over the defense policies of of much of the world, and it's not only a tool for not only a military tool, but because so many countries want to be in NATO, want a good relationship with NATO, see NATO as a solution to their problems, is also for the U.S. a tool, a a, a, a bigger tool for influencing countries and 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 changing their policies in that. Um, membership in NATO, mem- uh, membership action plans, cooperation with NATO can be used a- a- as a bargaining chip on, on, on just about a- a- every issue that, that is in the U.S. relationship with other countries. 
we were taught in middle middle school history class that the NATO's sole aim is to provide global peace. Is this true or has this failed in a way? I don't I don't know how to respond. The aim to to provide certainly not 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 global peace, but there has been a a uh, move since the end of the Cold War. There was a period when there was a long discussion about what is the purpose of NATO. We'll never if we'll never be at war with Russia. Obviously, that that you know they, you know those ideas didn't didn't that optimism with Russia wasn't wasn't well founded. But uh, there there was a period of thinking how about how how NATO could be used to resolve conflicts in, in all the neighboring regions as far you know far into into Asia and, and, and even and even northern Africa. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's important to view NATO as not not uh, a, a, a when we use the word alliance, it's easy to think of where we're you know we cooperating in, in each other's defense. you know that 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 uh, can easily be challenged, obviously. Uh, if the U.S. was ever invaded, we wouldn't be looking to Lithuania for 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 our defense. Uh, we have, the U.S. has military bases in all these countries. They don't have bases in in the U.S. So it's a uh, it's a tool for the U.S. to have a kind of far forward defense of its interests, but also to shape the policies of of other countries. And and at the time, I think in the 1940s and 50s, when this was being thought through and created. There was a strategic calculus by which uh, it, it, the American policymakers thought that that uh, to, to have five or six decision makers in the West for uh, uh, vis-a-vis in the, in the face off of the Soviet Union would be too dangerous. So, if, 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 so if we could all get together into an alliance that the U.S. would dominate. We would all know each other, share common 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 uh, concepts of strategy the, the, in, in the U.S. could lead, it would, it, it would be better for everybody. Uh, since then, and as the alliance expanded, it, it, it's, it's a tool also for, uh, um, in, in, to involve the U.S. in, in the uh, inner, inner security policy workings of, 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 uh, of, of other countries. It has, it has a much broader purpose uh, and, and agenda in, in, uh, and shaping the policies of other countries, shaping world order. Dr. Milos, what are the basic differences and similarities between the Republican and the Democrat approach to the U.S. direction of foreign policy? And you're somewhat of an insider in this topic, so I think the listeners will be very thrilled by what you well, by what you have to say. Well, I, you know, uh, <laughs> this is this is a funny question. In, in truth, I don't. Th- I, I think on foreign policy, this is where the uh, Democrat and Republican administrations uh, uh, really tend to agree the most uh, in in the in the daily political struggle for uh, to win elections. Of course, they, everyone emphasizes differences and, and and acts like they agree on nothing. But uh, but when when administrations change from Obama to Trump, Trump to Biden, generally in foreign policy, the relationships and priorities are are. Uh, uh, are changed only slightly, and and the uh, the alternating parties have to struggle to try to find issues in which to profile great differences in policy that don't typically exist. In other words, the Republican foreign policy establishment, foreign, foreign policy establishments in general, uh, uh, and this is true of every country I've had to deal with, are more more uh, uh, more in sync with the. Uh, 
global consolidated conglomerated power structures. Whereas uh, when you talk to Republicans on all kinds of domestic issues, there are genuine different, genuine and deep differences with Democrats. Generally, the Republicans who are involved in the foreign policy process are more, more in, 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 in sync. Uh, the, 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 the chief difference is that the, the, uh, the Democratic Party foreign policy structure is really very, very much part of the conglomerated power of Brussels, Berlin, uh, uh, the elite NGOs, think tanks, uh, global financial power, where the Republicans are a little bit persona non grata in, in those circles. But uh, they do seek to be to, to admittance, and, and uh, the Republicans actually work with them uh, uh, better than perhaps I would like sometimes. Yeah, Dr. Milos, I'm a third-year law student here, and what I know about geopolitics right now is that the EU's view towards Russia has changed in the past month, and we view Russia as a strategic challenge and not a strategic partner anymore. So how does the U.S. perceive Russia at this moment? Russia is a terrible, terrible problem and uh, has been for hundreds of years. Uh, of course, no country's caused more uh, harm uh, to the, the uh, countries on its perimeter over, over, over several hundred years than, than, than Russia. And uh, of course, the, of course, Putin and the people around him uh, have have uh, uh, have not sought to separate themselves from this terrible legacy in any way, but can, but have continued it. Uh, at the same time, Russia is a remains a country with legitimate interests, and uh, uh, and people people live there who are who are not who are not wrapped up in or guilty of these uh, of these crimes. So you can only feel. Can only feel bad for them, but you have to deal with the with the power uh, with the Russian power structure that's that's coming at us. Midterm elections are coming up, right, in the United States. Um, yes. I have a question: If the Republicans got the majority in the midterm elections, would this have some kind of an impact on the U.S. foreign policy in the future? What do you think? You know, I don't think it would have very much impact. Uh, foreign policy in the U.S. is the prerogative of the of the executive branch. And uh, the House of Representatives, for example, would, would have, as, as whether Republican or Democrat, would have relatively little uh, ability to influence it. The, the U.S. Senate supposedly has, has, is, is designed to be more involved in, in foreign policy, has a role in, in improving ambassadors and secretaries. Uh, in reality, the, the uh, Republican Senate uh, is not going to have uh, a great deal of... of uh, difference with the with the Biden administration that you know that they may may seek to deny or hold out some appointments or whatnot but uh, as I was saying earlier about foreign policy establishments in general the Republican uh, senators uh, who are involved in foreign policy uh, are not headed toward any dramatic break with the with the Biden policies and Dr. Milosh, what about the American people do they want to change in the foreign policy do they care about it? Do they have an opinion about the EU, about Russia? I myself have never been to the United States and I just cannot imagine what it's like there before the midterm elections. 
on, on the U.S., the foreign policy, uh, you know, uh, on the voters and, and the people, it's been commonly said for a, a long time that American people are not that interested in foreign policy, that, that they feel protected by the oceans, distant from these other countries. And, uh, but it's also commonly said that, you know, that's all changed in the age of globalization. Really, in the everyday mentality uh, of, of the people, I don't think there's been there's been such a such a great change. Uh, uh, people uh, may, may may read about countries, but the the uh, uh, may may read more 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 foreign news. But uh, it 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 does tend to operate more at the level of of, of uh, uh, you know what do you think of China? Yes, no, good, bad. Russia, yes, no, good, bad. But it doesn't really move beyond general friendly or 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 negative feelings. The the only things that 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 would change that would be war. And I and and from what I can tell, talking to many people, most Americans don't really feel uh, that that their immediate interest is is. Uh, uh, that they need to make any hard decisions, or that our country has to make hard decisions in regard to Ukraine and Russia, but that we can afford to con- continue the policy of of uh, uh, of, of supporting uh, U- Ukraine completely. They may disagree and, and, and think perhaps not so much. They may be startled to see uh, uh, occasionally a, a, a report about threat of nuclear war, but I I, I haven't seen any evidence that people. Really feel that that, that 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 this is a crisis on which they have strong opinions and is going to going to drive uh, uh, voting. And I don't think any any uh, uh, voter surveys have, have have put foreign policy on the map of voters' top concerns. Dr. Milaj, there is a song that I really like. It's it's an English song. Uh, it's called "To Be Human" and sang by um, a girl named Marina. And there is a verse in that. There were riots in America just when things were getting better. How do you perceive it? Are there some kind of, like, I wouldn't say riots, but some kind of this disappointment or dissatisfaction with with how things are going in America right now? I think there is a sense of alienation, uh, 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 but I think there's also a sense of confusion. Uh, talking to people... Uh, I read a lot of news. Uh, I read a lot of commentary as well. Uh, the, 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 there, there is a sense of alienation that, that Trump was able to to uh, to tap into. Uh, that uh, a sense that the people running the country don't don't care about the everyday people who live here. It's difficult. I wouldn't say that that's been been able to be channeled channeled, channeled into anything because. It remains very unformed, and, and there are so many different, so much confusion about about uh, who's at fault and what the real issue is, what the real causes are, what can be done. Uh, it, it's, but I think there is a kind of enemy or an, an alienation operating. I, I haven't seen any anybody able to really take that in any direction. But the uh, the Trump movement was was certainly an expression of that. If people were supporting Trump, many people, uh, solely because they, they they understood that, or chiefly because they understood the people running the country did not want them to do that. And so it was a way to express frustration. So there is an alienation towards the regime or between the people? What what do you mean with that, that there is an alienation? 
I think there's a sense that the the government uh, is, is not does not does not seek to represent uh, the people, the voters that they're taken for granted, and that um, elite organizations are able to get get uh, get what get what they want from the system, but the but the uh, but but the voters are not are not uh, are not really considered are not the priority of the government. And Dr. Milosh, as a last question, what is your advice to younger people, to students who, and workers who will want to work in foreign policy making and just international law? Wow, you caught me unexpect, unexpected with that. Well, one of the things that, I, that I've, I've, I've often said over the years to uh, young students and interns I've worked with uh, when, I, when I work for Congress is that uh, when I was young in the 1980s, uh, Europe was still fascinating, and it was a place of adventure, and a lot of us were headed toward Europe. Uh, Europe has become a lot more like America. There was has a, it, really? Yes, I, that's, 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 that's for sure. When I, I come to Europe a lot, and, and it, it used to be quite a different and exotic place, but, uh, but I used, I, you can see every time I come here the process of Americanization in music, food, styles, attitudes, uh, yeah, I guess that's not a part ex- of globalization. Yes, it's not as exotic as it used to be. After 2000, there was a uh, generation of young people that were interested in China and uh, also people studying Arabic. I've often encouraged uh, young people to look at Africa. Africa remains fascinating, interesting, a large continent uh, with uh, countries maturing, markets maturing, things to do there, but it remains it remains. Uh, Unpredictable, uncontrolled—the site of adventure. I, I, I've always, I've always enjoyed going to Africa, and uh, the the mood, the feeling in the street, the people. Uh, I, I would encourage everyone to look at that. If I had more chance to be in Africa, I would. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Miloš, for this really exciting episode. Um, thank you. Thank for, you, Kara. Thank you for listening to thank the MCC Geopod, and have a good day, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this MCC Geopod episode. For further media content, please look up our English website at mcc.hu en or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to read more by our professors and students, check out our knowledge base at corvinec.hu en.